Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership in practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. We're back. We're back, baby. Oh, yeah. As you all know, we took some time off from podcasting to focus on a really big growth period with our e-com agency, PB&J. Now that that season is leveling out and because our awesome team is holding things together, we are excited to be back with you all talking about the world of D2C e-com with some of the best of the best out there. I mean, plus all the calls from super famous celebrities Mm. just begging us to create more episodes. I mean, that had something to do with it. It was non-stop. I mean... Do, do our moms count as super famous celebrities, though? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nonetheless, we are back in action and kicking off season two with a slightly new format that we hope you'll enjoy. One-on-one, long-form conversations with kick-ass guests. We may throw the odd season one docu-style approach back in the mix from time to time, but we are excited to take one big bite out of a tasty subject with each guest and squeeze the most of the juices out of each conversation that we have with someone. Okay, that sounds it gross. Really, I'm did. absolutely sure you could have thought of a better way to say that. Yeah, as I, as I was saying it, it just, we'll just fix it in post. Okay. So, we've lined up a call with Yoris Bryan, the founder of Dexter Agency, to dig in on a topic that's near and dear to all of our hearts, conversion rate optimization, or CRO. We talk about what it is, why you need to be doing it, when it makes sense, and some of the surprising revelations that come from this critical e-com practice. And spoiler alert, it's about deeper customer understanding. Yoris, thank you for joining us. This is um, season two, episode number one. So not a big deal, kind of a big deal, you know? Such a big deal. Um, so thank you for joining us. If uh, let's, get to, let's get started with maybe uh, just an intro. Um, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? All right. So I'm I'm Joris. Uh, well, for most English speakers, that 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 would be Joris. Uh, so I, I respond to pretty much anything that vaguely sounds like it. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm from Belgium originally. I live in Spain, and I've uh, well, I've been running Dexter Agency, conversion optimization agency for e-commerce uh, for nearly seven years now. So that's that's me, just in short. Love it. I, I would look forward to what you are in long, um, but this is uh, this is perfect for now. So, yeah, um, thank you for for joining us. Uh, you know, we've we kind of put things on pause for a bit, but uh, we're happy to be back. Slightly different format, but just pumped to be chatting with some awesome people that contribute in really great ways to the e-commerce space. So, thank you. You mentioned Dexter Agency is a CRO or a conversion rate optimization agency. Um, Tell us a little bit about CRO. I mean, we, Kyle and I, you know, with with PB&J, we we come across this a lot. Uh, It's of increasing importance and consideration right now. So just for those that may not know, um, what what is CRO from your standpoint? Yeah, tell us about... Tell us about Crow. <laughs> Crow. Yeah, 
Crow is actually <laughs> cool kids. <say. laughs> Crow is a, is the acronym it stands for conversion rate optimization, and funnily, it, it's it's what I do, but it's probably one of the acronyms I hate the most uh, because it's <laughs> it's so inaccurate. Uh, it I mean CRO conversion rate optimization. I think um, it was an agency actually that coined the term back in the days when uh, all the cool kids uh, used the three letter uh, acronym in digital marketing. So it was SEO and yep. PPC and that kind of stuff. So uh, they figured we need yeah. a three, <laughs> three letter acronym as well. Uh, and that's how CRO was born. But um, the biggest problem I have with it is that it contains the words conversion rate. And uh, basically because that kind of sets the wrong kind of expectations and the wrong kind of focus um, because conversion rate is just a metric. I mean, it's one metric and it's an important metric, but it's not the most important metric. Um, when you run an e-commerce, it's all about revenue and profit and not just about conversion rate because uh, there's so many factors that play uh, that determine your conversion rate. And uh, it, like, if you want to double your conversion rate, just give your stuff away for free and it's going to double or triple or whatever. Uh, but that's not good business practice. Right. Um, so yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a big fan of, of conversion rate optimization, but I guess we, we kind of, yeah, we're stuck with it. Uh, we just have to live with it. Uh, and I, I think if we have to use the acronym, it's probably better to use it as continuous revenue optimization. It's not perfect either, but it's a little bit closer to what we do. And at least it focuses a little bit more on revenue as an important metric and not just on uh, on conversion rate. Basically, so what it does is conversion rate optimization or conversion optimization or continuous revenue optimization, whatever you want to call it, Crow, uh, we, we uh, focus on trying to get more out of the site visitors that you already have. So we focus on trying to, um, yeah, get more of them to buy from you and uh, buy well, a little bit more from you, so at a higher average water value. I think that's yeah. um, that's mm. easily easier said than done because it's 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 like part science, part art. There's a lot of data in it. Um, you have to be really data driven, but it's also part art because you have to translate those data into what that would look like, what what kind of words you would use. So it requires a weird mix in someone's head. So you have to have someone that is uh, like left part of the brain and right part of the brain that combines those. Um, And uh, so that makes it pretty hard because there's a lot of data, but there's design, there's psychology, there's, uh, yeah, there's statistics as well. So it's, it's a weird mix of, of, of disciplines that come together in, in uh, conversion optimization. Uh, oh yeah. That, so basically the, the simple version of the definition is we try to increase conversion rate, but that's probably not the Just best the focus. Beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Just the beginning. Look, right, right now, or, or for the past few years, and, and we're in the e-commerce space as well, Like it seems that all the attention, all the hype, all the buzzwords, all the money uh, was going you know, to ads and acquisition. Um, you know, why, why is Crow or CRO, why is this practice becoming more and more critical for brands that are looking to win online? Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. And, and I totally agree. I mean, there's a lot of e-commerce companies that um, focus on, on the traffic side of things and it's normal and you have to do that, especially in the mm-hmm. early days, um, you, you need traffic. But um, if you only focus on traffic, you're missing, missing out on a lot. And especially now that advertising has become um, yeah, more and more expensive, like 
year on year, it's it's getting more and more expensive to uh, to get the same kind of return uh, yeah. that you used to have. It's it's a real battle, and if you don't uh, focus on on CRO just yet, you're missing out on a lot of opportunities to um, well to make that, that advertising dollars work for you. Because uh, it, it, I mean, it's just breaking even on that first sale is getting harder and harder um, and uh, let alone make a profit. Uh, so it's, it, you just have to try and make the most out of those advertising dollars. And that doesn't work by just looking at the advertising side of things. You have to look at what hmm. happens on the site. And I, I used to work in, in um, PPC, well, an agency that did PPC and SEO and they didn't even like report that much on, on what happened on the site. Their job was done when they dumped the traffic on right. the site. That was it. Right. And there's still a lot of people that, that have that mindset um, and that think like, oh, let's pull this one lever, <laughs> traffic lever, but there's actually four levers to increase your revenue. So mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty simple formula. Um, your revenue equals the traffic times the conversion rate times the average order value times the purchase frequency. That's it. So if we look at your online store, those are the only four levers that you can pull. Well, if you want to grow your business, it's a different story. You can you can uh, start selling on other marketplaces, maybe start a brick and mortar store or whatever. But if you just look at your online uh, at your online store, there's only four ways to grow, and it's traffic, conversion rate, average order value, and purchase frequency. Yet everyone focuses on traffic and kind of ignores the three other levers. But if you want to double your business. You can try and double your business by doubling the traffic. And usually you'll have to do more than doubling the traffic because not all traffic is created equal. You'll, um, you'll have a harder and harder time to find the same quality of traffic at a certain point. So doubling the traffic is going to be very hard. But if you um, can add in like 30% to your conversion rate, 30% to your average order value, and 30% to your purchase frequency... Basically, if you remember that formula, revenue is traffic times conversion rate times average order value times purchase frequency. What you do is you more than double your business by just focusing on those three other levers and try to increase each one of those by 30%. Um, and that's a lot more realistic scenario than trying to double your business by focusing on uh, on just the traffic. Right. So this, yeah, this, this idea or approach or practice really, discipline of smaller levers swinging large doors or small, uh, what's it? Small hinges swing large doors. Um, uh, I I've, I've heard it. I don't know if, if this is accurate yours, but I've, I've often likened it or, or heard it be referred to as, um, you know, your acquisition is kind of the hose. Um, and if, if you're pouring water and more water and more water into a bucket that doesn't have a bottom or at least has holes in it, um, you're losing out on a lot of that water that's being put in that bucket. So, I mean, it sort of sounds like this this practice of looking at conversion rate, average order value, and purchase frequency, these these smaller pieces that make up the whole, uh, that's sort of just making a, a more efficient bucket. Uh, and then, you know, getting, getting bigger from there um, makes a lot of sense because you're not losing more as you add more. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And I, I think uh, it, it's important to realize that um, if, if you've, like... Um, if it, you, you're talking about the leaky bucket, if you plug the holes in the leaky bucket, uh, every traffic that you, you're going to add is is actually going to um, get you a better return, which will make that, yeah, you'll be more profitable and you'll have more money that you can reinvest in your traffic as well. So um, mm-hmm. there's that um, notion of uh, outspending your competitors. Well, if you 
that's never going to happen if you only focus on traffic. You can only outspend your competitors uh, if you do a wonderful job uh, in terms of conversion rate, average order value, and purchase frequency. If you ignore or, ne- or neglect those three levers, you're never going to be able to outspend uh, your your competitors. You're always going to struggle uh, to try and 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 break even on, on that first sale. And and whenever a platform, uh, hmm. be it Facebook or Google, becomes more and more competitive or changes the rules and, and, and uh, it becomes really hard for you to break even yeah. or, you, or you turn a loss, your business is even in danger because you don't control those, uh, those traffic channels. You borrow their traffic, but you don't own it. Yeah. And hey, when, when has a significant change happened in a platform like <laughs> Facebook or Google in recent history? I mean... Yeah, never, never happens. Never. No, it's never how how, how yeah. do you, <laughs> what, like, I mean, I know that's still such a relevant topic. It's been, I guess it's been in maybe six months or 12 months since like the big shifts have started to happen. But what have you seen yours in terms of those big seismic shifts happening in privacy and, and the way acquisition is changing and how that impacts uh, commercial rate optimization, or, or as you better put it, uh, continuous revenue imp- optimization. Yeah, that, that's an excellent question. It's something that I I, um, I noticed personally over the last six to twelve months. Um, the, the the concerns people have when they come to us uh, are different than they used to be. Before it was like a nice to have to do zero. It was uh, the cherry on the cake. Now it's really out of necessity uh, that they come to us because it's getting harder and harder for them to make the advertising dollars work because uh, there's uh, the the, the the tracking rules have changed. They don't know uh, what what's really working anymore. Um, they often see uh, lower, well, uh, decreased ROAS. Um, they have to shut down campaigns, even entire traffic channels. Um, so, uh, yeah, CRO is really becoming a necessity to to survive, uh, and and not just the cherry on the cake uh, like it used to be. Um, and and I, I guess that it's only the beginning of a trend. Um, because consumers are getting more and more privacy sensitive and privacy aware and uh, companies like well, what Apple has done, for instance, um, although we can discuss about the real motives of Apple behind it, but um, what, what Apple has done is basically inspired by that increased sensitivity of, of consumers uh, for privacy. And it's only going to get yeah. Uh, wor- well, worse mm, or better d- depends on the, yeah. the way you look at it. <laughs> it depends what side of the equation yeah. you're on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we, as digital marketers, we we've been um, kind of spoiled because uh, we had so much data we, that we could look at and and analyze and kind of well, let's turn this knob here to the left and that one push the button here on the right and that's that's well, and a machine works again because we we know what we're doing and we can we can steer it in the right direction but um we will have to learn uh with well to live with a certain amount of of uncertainty um and that's what that that makes a lot of digital marketers afraid and that's because they don't they, they're so used to hide behind just data and, and, and looking at those traffic channels. Oh, let, let's add a little bit more here in this campaign and uh, turn dial this in and whatever. But basically what it comes down to is you work with people and you have to try and understand uh, who you do this for, what their motives are, and try to service them better. And and if you do that, then, then you still have plenty of opportunities to win this game and, and make a lot of money. But um, 
it, it frightens a lot of digital marketers to really try and get into the minds of their uh, of their customers because it's so safe hiding behind data and trying to uh, to make that work. But we'll have to learn to live with a certain degree of uncertainty because uh, we're going to have less and less data uh, uh, available in, in the future. At least that's my um, expectation. Why? Yeah, I mean, for for what it's worth, I think we would both agree that that's the case. And um, I mean, from our vantage point as well, I feel it's really important for brands to consider this. Um, it, it's not it's not going to be some passive, uh, automated, um, you know, AI driven uh, component of their growth so much anymore. You know, we we really need to get our hands dirty. Our, our these brands we're working with need to. Uh, intentionally and carefully, like with care, build relationships and deeper understanding and connection with their customer base. And that that's going to be the recipe for growth um, moving forward. And and I, I, I feel uh, anyway, like Sierra is a big part of that, this idea of, of understanding over time. Um, and that, yeah, that, that still comes with a, a, a suite of data and then you are looking and learning, mm-hmm. uh, you are testing assumptions and, you know, I'm, I'm sure you could speak to this yours, but sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you don't. Um, but I think it, you have an opportunity to learn from each one of those interactions or experiments. Um, but maybe, maybe speak on that a little bit more. I mean, from my vantage point, I think, you know, we, we see often a too few, brands are, are engaging with this, with this practice. So, so why, what, what does it look like? What would it, what would it look like, you know, high level um, for a brand to sort of dive into the CRO pool? Okay. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's not easy to crack the CRO code, um, uh, yeah. but uh, it's, well, it's totally doable. And, and um, a couple of years ago, I, I, I wrote a book that kind of reads like a user manual. It's called um, Kill Your Conversion Killers with the Dexter Method. But the idea was really to lay everything out step by step. And, and if you follow the book, you'll you'll get pretty far with the whole zero thing. But what it comes down to mm. is, is really, um, first of all, trying to understand what is happening, where, people, where are people dropping off, um, and, and, and why? Uh, and I think why is the most important question. And so you have to start really with doing research. And we, we have a, a framework or a method called the Dexter method. And, and uh, Dexter stands for uh, data, execute, uh, test, evaluate, and repeat. And so the data is really the starting point. And we spend a lot of time and effort um, trying to get a really good picture of, of what's happening on your site and uh, why are people dropping off? Why aren't they buying? Um, and and that's not just looking at quantitative data, which is, again, digital marketers, we like to hide behind data and usually it's quantitative data, but it's also uh, qualitative data because the qualitative data will give you an answer to the question why. Um, like a typical typical example is, is uh, you see a, a big drop off on, on a checkout page. And uh, what most marketers will do, they'll look at Google Analytics, they'll see in Google Analytics, they'll see the, the drop off on that page, and then they'll start speculating. They'll look at the page and say, oh, maybe it's because we added this form field in there, or maybe this is not clear, or maybe we should do it shorter. And it's just all speculation. Whereas if you use qualitative data and qualitative research methods, you'll get a lot closer to the actual problem and you'll, you'll try to get into the minds of your customers to really understand why people are drop, dropping off on that particular page. Um, so I think qualitative data is 
probably more powerful in this context than quantitative data. Don't get me wrong, both are important, but mm. um, it, the qualitative data is where you really make the difference and where you really get the ideas of how can we change the site so that uh, people will um, uh, convert better. So that's the first phase. It's really all about the data. And the data, I cannot stress that enough, is, is it's so important to do that, do that re- research. Um, uh, actually, there, there's uh, research done by, I believe it was Visual Website Optimizer, um, an uh, A-B testing tool, that did this research a couple of years back. And uh, what they found was that people who started A-B testing without any form of research, what they... Um, what they had as results was one out of every seven A-B tests delivered them a significant result. And that's a significant result. I'm not saying a significant winner. It could also be a significant loser. So they set up seven tests. (laughs) Yeah, that's an important nuance here. So they set up seven tests, six of them, there's no real variation, no real uh, significant significant difference between the two variations, so between A and B. The seventh, yes, there's a a significant difference, but it could also be a significant loser. Whereas if you follow the data and you do the research really well, uh, what we see on average across all of our projects is um, we find a one significant winner out of every three tests. And that's not a significant result, but a significant winner. So we set up three tests, two are insignificant, the difference, or maybe a loser, but it's one winner out of those three. And that's really important. So we spend some time up front doing that research. But basically, as of like this, the, <laughs> the first month that you, you A-B test, you already made up, made up for the time you lost uh, uh, in, 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 well, doing, by doing that research. So that's really important, that data phase, that research and trying to understand what's happening, where it's happening, why it's happening. I can't stress that enough because one of the biggest rookie mistakes I see is people jumping immediately to the A-B testing because they read case studies um, about A-B testing, they think it's cool, they think they'll get the same kind of results, and they set up an A-B test, they do two of those, maybe three, they, nah, results are not great, and they give up, and uh, they move on to something else. Well, that's, and that's really interesting, yeah, because I I was reading something, Joris, um, that that mentioned that that brands that that attempt to approach CRO as an in-house practice, or or one that their team facilitates, uh, not not only are they slower uh, at executing it, um, but they actually see uh, a quarter of the results or positive lift uh, than they would working with an external partner. And I, I think um, based on that article, uh, there were a lot of factors that went into it. But but what, I mean, kind of based on what you said, does it seem like that's sort of the approach is, oh, well, this one this one or two or three times that we tried something it didn't really work or we didn't get a winner um, so it must not work for us. Do, do you see that attitude or ideal uh, creeping in often? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I haven't read that article. and uh, So I, I cannot say what the exact reasons are why in-house teams don't get the same results. I can only speak from my experience. But I, what I see, um, I mean, I've, I've seen many things over all those years. But uh, I, we've had several clients that tried some A-B testing uh, before uh, in-house, didn't really get results. But it's also about um, focus. And, and as an agency, we focus on it. We've run over 2,000 A-B tests on e-commerce sites. That's an experience or the expertise that you can never build up in-house. Um, mm-hmm. But also, they 
pay us to set up a certain number of A-B tests. And we do that. We, we, we follow through. Whereas in-house, mm, there's not always that, I know, that, that, that minimum number of tests they have to set up and, and uh, there's not enough yep. pressure or incentive behind it. But also another thing is that in-house, what I see is that the wrong people are assigned to CRO project. I've seen uh, that happen as well. Um, mm. What typically happens is like, oh, we should do A-B testing. And then they ask someone like on the PPC team, like, oh, yeah, can can you A-B test? Maybe set up an A-B test or two a month or three. Right. And that person doesn't know what he's doing or she's doing. And, and uh, they have to figure it out. And they don't want to say no. So they do it. But it's not really their their expertise or, or they, they don't even know how to how to interpret the data. Uh, so they may be calling a winner when it's not a winner or even a loser. Um, so it's it's something that that um, that happens a, a lot. It's just you. It's very hard to find good CRO people. Trust me, <laughs> we've hired a few over the years and, yeah. and, and interviewed many over the years. And it's uh, there's there aren't many good CROs out there. But the person in house who is um, responsible for hiring or appoint, appointing someone to do the CRO project doesn't really know how to evaluate where that person actually knows what he's doing, and um, it's it's something. Um, I mean, it's pretty easy to say that you're good at CRO. And if if the person who's interviewing you doesn't really know what CRO is all about, doesn't really understand the ins and outs, will not be able to poke holes through that. And uh, someone can really sell themselves as as a good CRO in-house. But yeah, <laughs> you know, they, they, they're just beginners or they don't even know what they're doing. Uh, so that's that's also one of the things that, that I'm seeing. It's, it's really hard to find uh, good CROs. Um, so yeah. That, anyway, there's sort of a few factors that that I've seen over the years in uh, in my experience uh, that could contribute to getting lower or poorer results uh, with an in-house uh, zero team than than when you outsource it. That's great. Thanks for that insight. So over this journey, you've had a few years kicking at this can. I know you've learned a lot. You've run a lot of tests. Um, you've you've scaled your team and um, you know r- really built out a. a pretty ironclad SOP around all of this, but you know, if you're open to it, what's, what's kind of an anecdote that, or a, a story of uh, one of the more surprising things that you've learned or seen uh, along the way. All right. <laughs> that, uh, oh, so many, so many, so many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to pick your favorite I, child. I mean, yeah. Just one, just one. <laughs> oh, just one. Can I have two or three or four? Actually, we've uh, got two hours. Yes. Just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, <laughs> I, I mean, we've, uh, as I said, we've, we've, we've done over 2000 tests on, on e-commerce sites. So, uh, and we, we've had many surprising results. Uh, I, I remember one case, for instance, where, um, we had a client and, and uh, they had just signed up um, and they had been comparing us to other agencies. And um, we we did a kickoff call and the client said like, hey, uh, that other agency, they told me to add uh, a benefits bar on, on the site. It's a no brainer. I, I should just do it. And, and uh, you know, like on the e-commerce side, those benefits bar that say like free shipping, uh, I don't know, right. two day day money back guarantee, that kind of stuff, with, usually with an icon with it on, on top of, of, uh, of the site. And you see it on, on yeah. you see it on many on many sites, and it is usually considered a best practice. But um, I we we hadn't done any research yet. I didn't have any feeling yet with the data, nor with the target group, and what really motivated that target group. So I, I pushed back and I said like, no, we're not going to implement it. Let's test it. 
And uh, we had a bit, a bit of back and forth there, but uh, in the end, he caved and said, "Like, okay, you're the experts. Um, I'll, let, let's test it." And we tested it, and the result was that they had a 99.7% probability of losing a million dollars if they had gone ahead and oh, it, what had gone ahead and implemented that benefits bar. So, wow, a million dollars a year that they could have lost by implementing something that seems like a no-brainer that seems like a best practice um and it's it's i mean you you could you could argue and say like hey but a million dollars don't you think they would have noticed that uh well (laughs) their revenue went down Mm. well actually no the thing is they were doing around 10 or 11 million dollars a year so imagine imagine they implement this and they're Mm. so convinced that it's it's a best practice they implement it and maybe they see their conversion rates go down slowly for, from 1% to 0.9%. And that seems like a normal fluctuation. I mean, tomorrow it can pick up again. Um, and by the time they may be a little bit worried about that just that, that small drop, they're so convinced that, it's, that the benefits bar was a best practice that they'll uh, start looking at other culprits. Um, has has the site speed increased? No. Um, have, have we changed any campaigns? Uh, or maybe our competitor has promotions that we don't have, so people are now uh, buying from the competitor. So yeah. they look in different directions and not they're not looking at that benefits bar as a culprit. So it really would go unnoticed. It would go under the radar. And at the end of the year, they would have lost a million dollars. So not to say here, and that's really important that wow. everyone who's listening here, don't go and remove the benefits bar from your site. <laughs> it's really important to you. Because it, usually it is a good idea to have it, but you should test it because it's not because it's a best practice right. that it is definitely guaranteed to work for you. And I, we have many of those uh, tests that are so-called best practices that don't always work, sometimes actually um, make you lose money uh, and you think it's a best practice. So that's also why I'm, apart from not being a fan of the whole CRO acronym, I'm not a fan of the word best practice in what we do. Because um, it implies that there's, it, it's the only way. It's the best practice. So I prefer to call it a common practice uh, right. or yeah, a, yeah. a prototypical principle, which is a little bit fancier maybe, but let's call it a common practice. Uh, it, it has yeah. does have that expectation around it because best practice has that expectation around it. And um, yeah, it, it's just... We've we've seen it many times in tests that so-called best practices may actually hurt your conversion rates. So be careful about it. Always test it. Never assume that, oh, uh, that's the best practice, so let's implement it. Or even worse, a case study that you read somewhere, uh, oh, it worked for them. It won for them. Let's just implement it. Um, if, I, if I can give one more example here, <laughs> do you have of course. time? Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember a, a case where our client came to us and he said, like, hey, we... we we read a case study where they removed the currency symbol on the category and product pages and uh, that actually uh, increased their conversion rate. Can we test it? So I was already happy that they didn't just implement any someone else's case study and, yeah, and yeah. they asked us to test. And I was like, okay, sure, let, let's test it. And um, it, it turned out to be a big winner for them. So cool. Uh, we were like, okay, let's test it on our other client sites. And um, second one we tested it on didn't really make a difference third one, it was a loser. And the fourth one, it was a big loser. So had we gone ahead and taken that one winner 
because, well, it had already won twice in that case study that our client read. Then on our client side, had we gone ahead and told our clients to implement it on well, not everyone would have made extra money. Some would have lost money, actually. So what works on one side doesn't necessarily work on your side. And always keep that in mind. Don't just assume that um, what someone else is doing will also work for you. So that's that's super important, especially if you don't really know what you're doing. Be careful about best practices and case studies. That's like a big pet, pet peeve of mine. You can look at best practices and case wow. studies if you, you understand what you're doing, how to interpret those, and then definitely test them. That's huge advice and takeaway, I think, for, for anyone listening. And um, I, 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 maybe I could be wrong. Um, and Kyle, please feel free to jump in. But I kind of heard two things in there, Yoris. One is don't assume anything. Test it all. Um, the other is is kind of on that that iterative nature, uh, I think, of, of CRO that you've been discussing, which is like every single component can play and does play a role, for better or for worse, in how the site is performing. But it also, uh, I think the other takeaway I sort of heard in there uh, under the under the radar maybe was that those learnings though, on an individual test basis, like the, um, that sort of announcement bar at the top of the site that you were, that you were referencing that learning for that site though, is, is pretty evergreen. Like unless something critical shifts in the market or the business model, I mean, every test you run, every, uh, assumption that you, you know, put through the gauntlet, um, the learnings you take from that and the, especially with the winners, you know, the application of that, um, that's just sort of like carries through for the like that foreseeable lifetime of that change. And, and you're, you're looking at like this compound effect of everything that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, happy you see that because not everyone sees that. It, it's true. It's because it, look at, at uh, PPC. So uh, say uh, this month you can spend a hundred thousand dollars more on PPC. You spend a hundred thousand dollars more, you'll get more uh, traffic and more conversions if you do it right. Um, Next month, you don't spend that 100000 You fall back to your previous level uh, of conversions and revenue. So, um, it, whereas if you spend, let's say, 100000 on conversion optimization, you find a couple of winners, you get, um, let's say, so you do that this month, the 100000 is spent this month on conversion optimization, and uh, you'll get those winners. But that, it doesn't stop when you, when you stop investing in it. You'll, you'll, right. you'll see that effect uh, for a long time to come. Is it going to be there forever? Probably not because things change. People change. Sites change. So there's, there's a lot of factors at play, but at least it's, it's safe to assume that it's, it's going to be there for six months, 12 months, 18 months, maybe longer. So uh, yeah, that's, that's really important uh, difference between what we do and what uh, paid traffic does. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I th I, the other thing is hearing you say to yours is kind of going back to that, that human element, you know, and just going back to that, you know, not taking case studies exactly as they are and applying them to you is, is that, it, that ability to see that there's humans on the other side of this data. And just because, you know, there's definitely trends and things we can take from it, but it doesn't mean it's going to work with the humans that are interacting with your brand. And for the reasons they're interacting with you. And so to really just kind of take that with caution that, like you said, case studies and data is just one dimension of what's going to help you grow in that revenue optimization. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, we're doing this for, for, for our customers. Well, our clients are doing it for their customers. But um, so it, it, it's not about 
pushing product. It, it's about solving a problem for people through your products. If, if, you, if you understand those problems, if you understand your target group, if you can speak their language, um, then, then you're going to convert a lot better. Uh, and so it, it's just, it's just, it's people. <laughs> you got to understand them and, and try to try to help them out. And sometimes it's, it's small stuff that can really nudge them uh, towards a purchase that, or, or that can have um, a psychological impact or can be a little like a final trigger they need to, uh, to make that purchase. And, and you, you can only, come up with that if, if you have some empathy uh, and can understand uh, who you're doing this for and some yeah sometimes again it's 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 pretty small change like um the biggest winner we had with a small change and and don't mention it uh, before like the little hinges swing big doors and, and and we're really big fans of that we um the biggest win we had was a hundred percent probability of adding 5.5 million dollars a year uh, to a client site with uh, one change on a product page. What we did was they already had a guarantee. Um, it was a 90-day money-back guarantee, I believe it was. Um, and they had it on the page, on the product page. The only thing is we noticed when, when we did user testing that many people kind of missed out on it. They didn't see it. So we uh, took that and put it in – well, no, we left it there, but we repeated it uh, near the uh, add-to-card button on the product page. So the decision area. And that turned out to be like a final nudge for people to to take action, to say like, oh, but there's a 90-day guarantee. Okay, let's add it to the cart and, and, and buy. Um, so it's a small change, but that small change uh, added $5.5 million per year uh, to our client side. So that's, that's pretty huge for a small change. And that's all because of psychology, because of, of empathy, because of trying to understand um, who you're doing this for and uh, why they... Uh, yeah, why maybe they're they're having some fears and certainties and doubts and how you can solve that. And in this case, it was like, okay, we already offer a good guarantee, but the, they seem to be missing it. So let's make it a little bit clearer to take away that last uh, uh, fear, uncertainty, or doubt. And yeah, it turned out to have a, a pretty big impact. I love that. So if I could crudely summarize yours, are you saying that the more you crow, the more you know? <laughs> oh, wow. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we made it the whole podcast without another crow joke. Almost, almost. That's so good. The other one I was thinking of was that um, that that actually when Peter Pan did grow up, um, he he uh, got a job in in crow. Yeah, I like the other one better. <laughs> All right, there's there's a whole we could we could do like a crow show, the, the crow show, and we could just go into all these puns and how they connect with with optimizing. I'm sure there's something there, Yoris. You've probably done that, right? You just sit down and just make crow jokes. <laughs> yeah, it should be. But let, let, let's test the jokes first, A B test them to see which yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, I, I've got a closing question for you. No, wait, I have two closing questions for you. They are both advice questions. And the first one is really just advice for brave brand leaders that are listening to this podcast, those DTC brands that are going, okay, I heard all this. What's some closing wisdom and advice for them? Do the research. Don't don't just jump in and, and try to find winners with A/B testing. Uh, do the research. Try to understand what's happening, where it's happening, why it's happening, and 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 that's gonna 
yeah, get you a great foundation for uh, winners later on and, and keep going because in the beginning, it's not going to be easy. Uh, you're going to get discouraged by losers, but just keep going uh, and you'll find some momentum at some point. And then I promise you, it's, it's, it's real fun to do. Just keep crying. Just keep crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it started now. Oh, okay. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> Everyone listening is probably like, those guys know nobody says crow, right? Like, they, they know it's not a real thing. You're working on a joke. It's not a thing. Oh, man. Okay. Speaking of winners and losers, here's my other advice question. Group F, Belgium, Canada. What's the advice you have for Team Canada to not be a loser? <laughs> oh, uh, I, are they in the same group? I'm sorry. I don't know anything about They food. are, so, yeah. Are they? Oh, okay. I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. I, I don't really know. I'm just on the bandwagon. I just jumped on. It's like we're like we're winning games. I'm like, I'm there. And then we end up with Belgium. Belgium's like the best in the world. I, I, I think I only I accidentally heard yesterday that Belgium is going to that, – that there's, there's a, a, a World Cup coming up. <laughs> So no, if it were a cycling question, <laughs> so no. I, 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 I could go on for hours, but sorry, wrong sports. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> so, okay. We'll get, that's the other podcast. This is the next one. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's my, that's my, I'm just, I'm just sourcing um, uh, optimization advice for the, the men's team to bring home a goal. We're going with a goal. Team Canada, if we get a goal, I'm going to be like down the street running back and forth. <laughs> should, should be doable. Uh. Yeah, I think so. No one is unbeatable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You just got to test right. their defense. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Try, you do the research first. Try to understand them. You, you got to study. Yeah, that's good. Place all your money on uh, you know the one that you think is going to come out a winner, right? That's how that yeah. works, I think. <laughs> uh, Yoris, I uh, really want to thank you for uh, joining us to talk about CRO. Um, but But more than that, I think just the... I'm glad you brought that up. I know we both are the the empathy that needs to come into on an ongoing basis, uh, come into the commerce space. Um, you know, talking about small hinges, talking about iteration, not assuming anything, doing your research, um, evergreen changes, and and really those those things you can do to truly impact your business um, that are they're kind of right there in front of you, and it, it doesn't have to be by spending more on ads. So um, yeah, I, I know this won't be the last time we talk and I know that this is such a um, important blossoming uh, area of consideration for uh, D2C brands. So thanks for bringing your expertise to the table, you know, putting up with, with our bad jokes uh, as uh, you know, as some might say, but uh, yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Well, that's it for this episode of Commerce Chefs. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the new format and learning a little more about the secret ingredients to make CRO work for you. But if you're looking for more, make sure to join the Commerce Chefs community by following us on social at Commerce Chefs. Ask us questions, send in requests. We want to hear from you. We're currently cooking up the next episode of Commerce Chefs, so be sure to tune in on April 28th. Remember, it's just as important to feed your ears as your mouth. Because as they say... The ears are the other mouth of the head. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, okay. Well, lastly, if you like this episode and you want to support us, make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, this has been a pinch of Kyle and a dash of Tom. We'll be cooking with you in two weeks.